It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That, of course, is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates, as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show Mr. Matthew uh, Meneas, and he also is known as Matt Mack, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show. We, uh, of course, are very familiar with him here at Element FM because we play some of his music. So, uh, Matthew or Matt Mack, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. And uh, how would you, how do you like to be uh, referred to, Matt Mack or, or Matthew, or does it matter? You can call me Matthew, Matt, Matt Mack. <laughs> okay, that's great. Hey, listen, congratulations, first of all, to all of the recent success you've been having. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Is it a surprise to you, or do you do you have you been feeling like perhaps that your music is was there and it was ready to be sort of recognized at some deep level within yourself? I knew it was ready to be recognized. I just didn't know it was going to be this quick um, <laughs> because I knew I knew that there was going to have to be some growth in my musical journey, mm. and obviously. I'm, I'm experiencing that. I'm growing as an artist, um, as a person. I'm doing a lot of things. Um, so yeah, it's just been amazing so far. Right, and um, as we mentioned, uh, you, you get played. Uh, Paradise is played here on Element FM. You're also you were number one on the Indigenous Music Countdown as well. Yep, I was. And uh, so, when did you when did you actually launch your music? this particular music that's out now? When did it launch? Um, so um, Paradise was my debut single. Yep. It came out on June 24th, my birthday of this year. June 24th is your birthday? Yeah. All right. Did you plan it that way? Did you want to drop on your uh, on your birthday? Yeah. Nice. That's cool. Well, congratulations on, on both those fronts. Yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, you're from uh, from a reserve north of uh, of, of uh, Winnipeg, I understand. Yeah, I'm. I live in Garden Hill First Nation. Oh, you you live there now? Is that where you're you're uh, calling us from, or are you in? Some... Yeah, <laughs> I'm in Garden Hill right now. Cool. Um, I've been here all my life, so. Mm. Um, you know, Matt. Uh, people may not realize that you have been blind from birth, and that uh, that. You know, for for people that don't know you, um, that may that is a part of who you are. Of course, you were you've been raised without sight. Yeah, so um, I've been blind since birth. Um, growing up in the reserve, um, mm. not only indigenous, um, I'm also blind. As I said, mm. gave um, presented me with some challenges. Yeah, for sure. Now, I understand also though that you up until around the age of eight or so, you, you didn't really realize that that you were different in that regard. That was just yeah. the way you were, right? And that was just life for you. Yeah. When when that became aware to you that you were different, that you, you didn't have uh, this, this gift of sight, um, what what transpired in your thinking at that time? What, what How did that change? Well, it definitely put me in a dark place for um, the later part of my childhood. Um until like my teens, um, I definitely struggled with depression. Um, I didn't have anything to cope with it at such a young age. Mm. Um, I remember like some days I'd have my episodes. Um, and um, over time it got better because um, by 13 years old, I had started to play the piano and um, started to mess around with the laptop and audio technology. Um, that's when I kind of, that's when I started to get into music again. Mm. But prior to that, when you were younger, you also uh, sang, I understand, in gospel. Yeah. Um, I grew up with gospel um, mm. and uh, from my mom. Mm-hmm. So she would always um, have the local radio station on and they would have these uh, gospel jamborees. And um, as a kid, I was always encouraged to sing at these jamborees. Right. 
And and what was that like? That must have been fun for you at the time. Yeah, it was. Um, it definitely, um, it definitely like um, got me into the idea of singing as a kid. Mm. So, when you think back on that, and you think of of singing in the jamboree, and you sing, think of uh, sharing your voice, getting your voice out there as as a singer, as a vocalist. Um, what? How did that make you feel? Was it just joining in for the fun, or was did it make did it have a connection for you? An inner an inner connection? Do you think? Well, thinking about it now, I think it's a kind of an inner connection. It allowed me to have to, it allowed me to develop my voice at such a young age. Mm. Um, it allowed me to develop those skills. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, I took a break from singing for for a couple of years, but when I came back, definitely definitely the skills were there already. Mm. Right. So, like you said, you got back into it, and you started uh, you started playing the piano, but not very seriously, I understand. And then you started to get exposed to um, computers and software programs that would allow you to start to record. Uh, Audacity, I think, is what you, you started to work with. Yeah, so that was the first program I recorded it with, believe it or not. Um, I don't use it today, obviously, but um, that's what I started out with. Okay, so tell me about that experience. What 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 drew you into the possibilities of of doing that kind of thing and working with uh, a computer and a keyboard to start to create things? It was always the um, the recording overdub feature that I really liked. Mm. Multi track recording. Um, that's that alone. I guess that's what. Inspired me to fall in love with recording. I love recording. <laughs> um, I'm always creating, and I guess like back looking back on it now, Audacity was definitely a good start for me. Mm. Um, I used it for like a few years, um, and also during that time, I was just learning the music terminology, mm. um, mm-hmm. what all these terms was, what uh, this did with this specific. Um, feature on a DAW did mm-hmm. and I wasn't even like I didn't even have like a proper like di- digital audio recorded digital audio workstation mm-hmm. uh, can you take us back to that first early part of when you started to to get exposed to that multi um, multi-track recording idea and, and and tell us what really excited you what what was what was it when you first got exposed to that that you that kind of sparked you and you went oh i you know what 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 triggered in your mind what did you think about that what what did you what what were the possibilities that came to you at that point so i remember it was i always like it was just me a headset microphone my Yamaha piano mm. and I would hook up my Yamaha piano through just an aux, an aux cord with yeah. a line and jack yeah. on my computer. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, I remember I'd play the piano and then I would add more to it. Like I would add mm. like these <laughs> weird drums mm. and bass. And I was like, wait, this is actually pretty fun. I like this. <laughs> this is great. And I kept doing it all the time when I was like 12, 13, 14. It was, it was pretty fun. Mm. So what, what did you then start to imagine in terms of songwriting? Because, of course, you've, you've now uh, you, you produced your own music. You've written your own music. You, you sing your own music. Um, what, uh, what did you start to see there? And I and and I'm trying to lead you down the road of of, of singer songwriter here in terms of what comes to you first. Does it does it always come to you as a lyric? Does it come to you as a beat? Uh, as an idea? What what usually comes to you, and then you develop and move forward on. So, I'm a melody driven person. Mm. I love melodies. Mm-hmm. So usually after like say, okay, let's say I'm working on a song. Usually the beat would always be done first, production-wise. I'd have everything set. Um, when writing, I love melodies, so I usually start off with my melodies, and from there I'm able to get to the lyrics. Mm. Cool. 
Um, now, the other thing is, of course, uh, with with the, the new song, uh, Paradise, that, that's done very well for you, and you're getting lots of attention uh, for that. Um, what, when you look back on that now, what, what do you think of, of that song and that success? The, the success of the song? Um, yeah. Well, first of all, it's hit number one on the um, Indigenous Music Countdown. Mm-hmm. I grew up listening to that show because um, <laughs> I grew up with a, like a lot of radio. Right. So I've knew, I've known about that countdown for the longest time. Yeah. Even when it was even like even when it, it in, in its earlier stages, like earlier mid like two thousands, I remember like thinking about it, it was like what what Paradise has done. It hit number one on that countdown. Um, it's also being played on this station and mm-hmm. knowing that my music is being played elsewhere, it's for me, it's so like surreal. It's, it's doing numbers that I didn't think it would, that I didn't think was possible at, mm. at this stage of my career, but mm. I'm really thankful. Right. Now I, I have to ask you this, uh, as we pointed out, you've been blind from birth. And uh, you, you put a video out uh, with your music as well. And, and I heard you say that you're really pleased and really happy about, about the video. Now, if you don't mind me asking, uh, as someone who, who has been blind from birth, what, what do you make and what do you think of video? What does that mean to you? Well, as a blind person, obviously, I'm not going to understand the visual aspects of the world, right? Mm. I'm not going to fully understand that. And that's fine with me. Mm-hmm. Um, though video, that is like the visual aspect of my career, the visual aspect mm-hmm. of my music. And obviously I'm getting help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to like what I think what video is, that's an interesting question. Well, um, what have you got planned for for coming up next? What's what's the next uh, steps for you? So I'm already working for that, but <laughs> um, right now I'm currently working on production for the next album. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already gotten like um, I already have like a few songs recorded um, and a few songs already ready to go for the next album. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's basically what I'm working on. Um, I really can't do much as, um, my community is currently on lockdown Mm. because of, uh, these trying times. And, um, so right now it's just recording, creating, um, writing songs, making beats. That's basically what most of my days consist of. And, and where do you do your recording? Is it somewhere in the community or do you go to a studio somewhere or is there a studio in your, your home community that you're doing? Um, it's actually all in my bedroom, believe it or not. Paradise <laughs> was it. recorded all in my room. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. It wouldn't be the first. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yes, the world has changed so much. Uh, it has changed entirely. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. And so is that where your your new music is coming from? Now that you've had this recognition and I'm sure you're getting some attention, you're probably getting some, some calls uh, by some people that might be interested in working with you. How has, has that changed in terms of the possibilities of opening up more opportunities for you? Well, I get a lot of calls asking like, hey, you want to work? Let's work. Um, um, I'm someone who loves to collaborate and it's just the outreach that my music has had on people, the outreach, um, it's just, it's, it's, it's really cool to see because I see a lot of people getting inspired and that's what I love about my music. And this is, it just, all this makes it worthwhile. Mm. Hmm. Um, you, you, uh, you say you use a lot of trap beats for your music. So how does that help or influence or shape what you do? Um, well, obviously I mainly do hip hop. Mm. Um, so for me, it's, it allows me to be creative. Mm. It allows me to uh, touch on certain topics that I deal with. Um, like Paradise is a song, is an upbeat song. It's 
it's happy. It talks about, um, well, for me, when I had written this song, it was like, okay, Summer Love. That's what I thought of when I mm. had recorded the song. Mm. I was like, okay, because the beat sounded very, very summery. And um, I just wanted to make that type of vibe. Right. Um, do you prefer or do you enjoy or does it matter which working on your own, creating your own music, as you say, uh, working with your keyboard and with your computer, or do you uh, just as much enjoy, say, working with uh, live uh, musicians and and having uh, that full band uh, with you to back it up? Both, actually, because um, obviously I come from my background was like live music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up with live music. Um, I pl at one point in my um, early teen life, I was playing. I got back into the gospel jamborees, and I, instead of like singing, I was mainly like playing the piano. So, mm. yeah, I'd actually prefer like both of it because one, the trap beats are awesome and amazing, sure, um, but it's something about the live experience. I love live music, right? Um, that's great to hear. And is there another, uh, is there another single or another uh, song that you've got, uh, say queued up to come and follow up paradise? Um, from the so album? I just dropped, well, I just dropped an album and, uh, we also have like another music video, mm. um, off of that. It's, it's called just want to feel alive. It's off of the, uh, latest album that mm -hmm. came out. Mm -hmm. But as of right now, um, we're just, we've, I've just been like um, working on getting ready for like next singles and uh, yeah. Mm, cool. Uh, Matt, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you and congratulations on uh, your success and, and all the best with the future and, and even more success. And we look forward to uh, hearing more of your music here on Element FM. And of course, uh, hopefully that you're going to get that airplay right across the country and around the world. So congratulations. Thank you for having me here today. You bet. You take care. Yep. Thank you. All right. Ona. That is Matt Mack. Uh, he is a music producer, recording artist, and uh, as you heard, uh, he does get played right here on Element FM, and uh, we play his uh, song Paradise. He's just dropped a new one, as you heard, from his latest album, and he's working on his new one, and he was uh, on the line with us uh, from Garden Hill, and that's about 400 and some odd uh, kilometers north of Winnipeg in uh, Manitoba. And it's been a pleasure to have him on the show. And you can also still see him on the Indigenous Music Countdown. He's there. He's about number nine this week, but he was sitting at number one. And they also feature his uh, video at the top of the Indigenous Music Countdown as well. So check it out. And uh, be sure to ch stick around and check out the second part of this show right here on Element FM. I'm David Moses. We're going to be right back with more right after this. <laughs> Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That, of course, is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates, as well as ELMNTFM, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is a pleasure to welcome to the show Alexa Jovanovic. She's the founder of iDesign. And uh, she began her... Actually, I'll tell you a little bit about uh, the, the design itself. Alexa has come up with the idea of incorporating Braille into fashion. And she got that idea when she was studying at, uh, at Ryerson University, working closely with uh, Dr. Ben Berry, an associate professor of equity, diversity, and inclusion at the School of Fashion at Ryerson University. So it's a pleasure to welcome Alexa to the show, especially with this very unique idea that she's come up with. So Alexa, welcome. Thank you so much, David. It's a pleasure to be here. So I have to ask you, Alexa, this, this idea of incorporating Braille into fashion, um, when, when did you start the company? You're the founder of iDesign. Yes. So the 
company officially started just this past January, so wow. January 2020. Mm. But the research all began in 2016. As you mentioned, it originated as a research project when I was at Ryerson, but was just so well received by the community that I knew it could have a real social impact and really create conversation regarding fashion in marginalized communities and the importance of accessibility. So through those past couple of years, I was able to really transform it into a fashion startup. So it's been a long process, really research-based, really community-driven, but it's been a fantastic journey so far. Uh, Can you go into a little more detail about what you just said there about the acceptance by community, by the community? What did you mean by that? Of course. So the way that this project originated was knowing that I wanted to use fashion as an outlet to create social change. I wasn't exactly sure what that end product would be, but I knew the results that I wanted. And so I had come across the similarity of small beads and Braille and did a lot of research, realized that no products even remotely similar existed. And I thought that there could be a real benefit to being able to provide all of this functional information onto garments, but in a way that's really aesthetically pleasing and can be worn by anyone and can advocate. But working with this community, and as I was saying, with really wanting to highlight marginalized communities and provide additional voices, I never want to assume the needs of others. So that's sort of where the community portion comes in. So I came up with this concept, but immediately started making prototypes and reached out to local individuals in the Toronto area who are visually impaired or Mm. can read Braille. And from there, we really worked together to develop the entire concept. We would test the Braille legibility and we would have conversations around fashion, not just with the physical identification of different products, but also from more of a social standpoint and the stigma surrounding what it looks like and feels like to be blind and all Mm. of those misconceptions. Mm. It's it's a wonderful idea. Congratulations on this, you know, on on many fronts. And and there's so many things that we could talk to about this. You know, the idea that you decided to uh, one uh, use Braille and, and use that and, and research that. What what drew you to Braille? So visually, I've always thought Braille was quite intriguing, but Mm. from a functional standpoint, it is incredible that individuals can read through touch. And there Mm -hmm. are so many individuals in our world that do have visual impairments, but being blind is actually noted as the number one disability that's feared. There's a lot of stigma surrounded by it. Mm. And individuals who do identify as being blind or having a visual impairment, they have many different accessible technologies available to them, but there's a big fear of adapting and using them because of that fear of looking blind. So Mm. Braille is one of those tools. There is a ton of research that shows the importance and the literary benefits of learning Braille, but the resources available to actually learn Braille or those end products that include Braille are just so limited. So Mm. this is one of those ways that Braille has such a visual presence, so it's able to make a larger statement to the greater audience about the importance of accessibility as a whole, but then also really focusing in on the importance of literacy and having that Braille really helps to provide freedom of expression and increase someone's own independence. So when you have something like Braille, you learn punctuation, you learn spelling, you learn all of that. That's something that you can't really get from audio. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really, it really is fascinating. You, you are really sparking all kinds of things <laughs> off in my mind as, as you're uh, sharing this. And, you know, the idea that you, uh, you are also with, with the name of the company, I, uh, a I-L-L-E, uh, which is a reference to the French language, L.A., yes. and, and it also is, is um, uh, you wanted to also uh, pay homage to, to uh, the, the founder of Braille, the, the person who invented it. Correct. So yes, yeah, so Louis Braille was French. So having the French name, I, is a nod to his starting of the entire code also a nod to our uh, Canadian heritage. But more importantly, with I, the meaning of the verb aller, which Mm -hmm. is where the name stems from, it means to move forward. Mm -hmm. So essentially what we're saying is that this is the direction that all fashion needs to move forward. (laughs) 
the future of fashion must be inclusive. There must be inclusive practices. There must be ethical production. And it really must stem from diversity and inclusion. And then from the actual pronunciation of the word I, it's a direct correlation to the fact that everything that we're created is in direct collaboration with individuals who are blind or visually impaired. So there's that physical eye, but then also the personal eye in the sense that all of our products are designed to increase independence and empower communities. You know, you mentioned empowerment and, and I'm wondering about that because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as you first took this idea forward as two people that uh, um, are, are either, uh, you know, blind or, or, or visually impaired, uh, and you, you took this forward. What was the reaction to some of the first people you presented to? It was absolutely phenomenal. So one of the stories I often bring up. So there was a woman that I met. She was one of the first people that was participating in the research. And in our first meeting, I brought all of the prototypes and uh, we were going through the Braille legibility and whatnot, discussing different design changes we could make. And just by that second interview, so many things had changed. She had become a complete advocate for what we were doing. So in that second meeting, uh, she actually surprised me and she brought along four of her sighted friends. I had no idea that they were joining, but she brought them and essentially took over the interview because she was just so interested to know if these were products that they too would be interested in wearing, what their thoughts of Braille application was. And then as the complete societal stigma, we were discussing how this could potentially change those different mindsets. So knowing just after one hour interaction with one person in the very beginning stages could already have that huge impact, that's really where it all stems from. So having one person really believe in this and then that word of mouth really showing the importance of what we're doing and the greater impact it can have. Because one thing with this is not only are we creating inclusive fashion and making sure that the community is involved every step of the way of that process. But we're working with the community that has really never had a voice before. So a lot of times when we were doing our research, it was appalling to learn that individuals with disabilities are very rarely considered consumers of products, let Mm. alone consumers of fashion. Mm -hmm. So really providing an outlet to have that voice of change and show that fashion can truly be for anyone. Yeah, it goes back to that word you used, empowerment. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was wondering about that because uh, giving giving people uh, 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 that are either blind or uh, suffering from a visual impairment uh, this option to to don clothing that is that is um, that represents them partially, especially through the use of of, of braille, this language and code, mm-hmm. as you referred to it. Um, it, it's one, it's pleasing. Um, and, and, you know, we're talking about the fashion industry here. And um, so did, did you find that, that that was empowering, empowering for these people? Absolutely. So as I was kind of mentioning beforehand, there are different accessible technologies that are available to the greater disability community, especially those with visual impairments Mm. or blindness. But there is a lot of fear and stigma attached to actually adopting the use of those technologies. So with this Braille, some of that empowerment actually stems from the fact that individuals have reached out saying that this unique use of Braille has actually encouraged and inspired them to go back and relearn the code. So maybe it was something that they started, but there wasn't enough end products or there was so much stigma attached to the use of it. But now that we're able to highlight Braille in a more positive manner, using Swarovski crystals to create everything really provides connotations of beauty and luxury and completely destigmatizes what it is that we're doing. We're really opening the view of Braille to be more inclusive on a global level. And so that empowerment to know that this tool that could be so incredibly helpful is now being more accepted on that global level. It provides that empowerment to want to go back and fully embrace who they are. So many times when you're working with individuals with disabilities, 
so often the disability is that main characteristic of the person, but that's not at all the case. Mm. There is so much more behind that person. And this is a way to really fully embrace who you are without making disability at the forefront. The products include this Braille, which is fully accessible, but it's so much more than just a functional project. Right. I, I want to talk about the Braille that you're putting on your fashion items mm-hmm. and, and what they, they, they are there to because they're functional, as you say. But yes. I also want to ask you about, because you mentioned about the sighted people that you, this woman had brought in at the second mm-hmm. meeting. And she asked about, would they be interested in wearing something like this? So can you talk to us a little bit about the sighted people's reaction? Of course. So at that first uh, interview there where she brought her sighted friends, some of the individuals actually didn't recognize that all of the beading was Braille. Mm. Their first comments were, this is such a beautiful garment, Mm. the beading is so intricate, but not really recognizing (laughs) that it was Braille. So even just that lack of familiarity with Mm. the code itself, there's a lot of power here where there are some individuals who may be drawn to the item because of the beauty and uniqueness of it and not even knowing that it's an accessible item. So that's almost an underlying uh, benefit to the product in the sense that we're able to create this accessible item that not everyone will realize is is an accessible item. And that's sort of the way that most products should be designed is if you take into consideration the needs and values of everyone, you can create a much stronger end product. So having one product that is far beneficial for everyone rather than having two products, one specifically for individuals who may identify as having a disability and then others who are able-bodied. With this cited Uh, consumers. We've advanced quite a bit since that first interview back in 2016. So now it's really become quite a fashion statement. And from the cited individual, you'll have different customers who are interested in the Braille because of its one-of-a-kind nature and story and the intricacy of the actual beading and the more premium materials that we're using. But then you'll have others who have a family member or a friend who identify as being blind or visually impaired. And it becomes more of an advocacy piece. So anyone who's really interested in being an ambassador for inclusivity and diversity, especially with all of 2020, a lot of these issues have come to light. And so this has really been a great time to continue that conversation. And then others who will use it purely for the functional standpoint. So all of the Braille that we include on our garments at the moment, it's created through a co-design process. So our end user is largely involved in the process of deciding what phrases will actually end up on a garment. So one of our most popular pieces is a denim jacket. And all of the beading on the back of that jacket describes exactly what it is. So there are seven silver stripes and each stripe is a different size and that stripe identifies a category of information for that jacket. So the first one is an overview. It'll say that it's a denim jacket that's oversized. Then the second line will start to discuss the colors of the jacket. So it'll say it's a medium indigo faded wash. That sec- that third section there talks about the different embellishments and adornments. So mentioning that all of the Braille is Swarovski crystal, mentioning that it's black and that there are these seven silver stripes. But then it provides more functional information describing that the garment is supposed to be oversized. So the wearer can expect for it to hit below the hip, that it will be a bit more of a looser fit, then going in to describe that it can be laundered in the washing machine, hung to dry. So it provides all of this functional information that allows that end user to fully envision the garment if they can read Braille. But beyond that functional value, it just has so many more possibilities. You know, I have a big smile on my face as you're describing <laughs> all this because it really sounds wonderful. And, um, it, you know, it, it, it brings all kinds of other ideas to mind in terms of what the possibilities are for the future in this, in this area and, and how this might uh, help. You know, I, I'm just thinking of, of a, a visually impaired person uh, laying their hands on this and being able to read it without assistance to know what it is and, and, and how it can be worn and, and, you know, how I can wash this if they're on their own. Uh, I think that, that that freedom that this also provides for, for people uh, in this area w- would be, at least from my, my initial reaction, is that, it, that they would really love this idea. 
Oh, absolutely. And David, I can't tell you enough. So as I mentioned, this was a research project. So we had many phases of iterations of what kind of braille beading would Mm. be most legible. So playing with different sizes, different Mm. fastening techniques. And that first time where the denim jacket was actually the first piece that was fully legible, putting that in front of the individual, having them read out letter by letter, phrase by phrase, oh, the feeling is completely unmatched. I go back to that moment so often. It's it's truly incredible. We have a couple of videos on our Instagram, actually, of some individuals reading the Braille on that. So if you're interested, definitely check that out. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. You'll have to make sure and, and give those people the coordinates for that after. But uh, listen, the other thing I wanted to ask about, and, and I'm not sure if you can answer this, and, and, I, and I don't know the answer, and that is Braille. Is yes. Braille an international language? Is it, is it something that is specific to English, French, et cetera, et cetera, or is it something that is just universal? Like music. So it actually is universal. And mm. uh, with the mention of music just there, there is an entire Braille code that's used specifically for sheet music. Mm. So there are such diverse options in terms of its use. My primary focus is on the English use of Braille. So there may be additional characters and whatnot from other languages that I'm not currently aware of. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the other things we're working so closely with the blind and visually impaired community and working through these co-design processes. It makes it so important because then you can ensure that everything remains legible, even when switching from language to language. So this originated as a project in Toronto, but we've since been able to expand our network to working closely with individuals in the UK as well, all throughout Canada and in the US. We just recently received a lot of international demand for worldwide shipping. So that network of individuals who we can work with is continuing to grow. So it'll be really exciting to see if we can start to incorporate other languages in some of our products. That's cool. That's great. Uh, congratulations on all those fronts. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. Anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in one of those two coordinates, as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My guest here on Moment of Truth is Alexa Jovanovic, and she is the founder of iDesign, and that is uh, pronounced, uh, rather spelt, A-I-L-L-E, design. And uh, you can find them on the web at uh, iDesign.com. There you can uh, see their homepage, you can shop, you can find out about their story. And um, uh, Alexa, you were talking about uh, your Instagram and and other things uh, where you have some other visual things for people to go and find out more. You were talking about the, uh, the first item that you made, this denim jacket. And you have a video of that that people can go and watch. So on Instagram, our handle is at iDesign, just like you mentioned, it's spelled A-I-L-L-E. And so we have some videos there of individuals reading the different Braille. And uh, there's a link to that on our website as well. You know, again, you you were talking about the international uh, possibilities here, and I couldn't help but think, and that's why I was asking about if Braille was an international language, because, uh, you know, every garment that that is sold has to have those those uh, details on it about what mm-hmm. it is and what it's what it's made from how to wash it etc care for it all those things and and that's what you're providing with this braille and i thought that's so cool uh that uh, you know it provides that and i'm wondering about what again you know where this might might lead um but uh, as you mentioned, you're putting the, the Braille on the items, on the outside of these items, different sizes and, and all those kind of things um, that become functional, but also a fashion statement. And, you know, one of the things that, that from your, uh, your not only research, but your study of fashion and communication, uh, it talks about disrupting fashion and, mm-hmm. and, and, and turning the norms around. So... Um, how has the fashion industry reacted to what you're doing? It's been quite interesting. Uh, Different industries that uh, we've been approached by, not even just fashion, have Mm. been very interested in what we're doing as accessibility has really become more important on a global scale. But with fashion specifically, there is so much intrigue with Braille. To put it simply, the sighted 
world Mm -hmm. is very interested in the possibilities of Braille. Mm -hmm. There's so much mystery involved in knowing that someone can read something fully by touch and Mm -hmm. then being able to display it in a very unique manner just adds that much more excitement. So one thing that we're really hoping to do in this upcoming year is be able to partner with larger apparel companies on a mainstream fashion level. So that way we can begin to make this impact and educate about the importance of accessibility on more of that global level. We've been doing quite well with the community and all of the products that we have thus far, but in order to create a real global change and truly disrupt the fashion industry on a whole, we're going to have to work with some of those mainstream players Mm -hmm. that already have such a large consumer base and have the power to really create this change. So that's something that's really exciting that we're in the works of. Hopefully uh, some new collaborations will be coming out next year, but that's one of the biggest things. There's little pieces that we can do to disrupt the industry, but in the end, it really will be sort of a case of having other individuals come on board so we can kind of become that industry leader and teach about the possibilities of how this can happen. And not even just with the implementation of products that are accessible, but with the entire manufacturing and design process as Mm. well. So working with individuals with disabilities through our co-design processes, they're not involved in just the brainstorming of these products, but they're involved every step of the way. So we choose the different designs, the colors, the phrases, where they should be placed, but then also the different types of communications and marketing materials that best apply Mm. and being able to appear in all of our photography and videography. Mm. And one thing that we're really excited about is that we're also starting to work with a company that employs a large number of individuals who identify as being visually impaired. And so there is a chance that all of our products will actually be manufactured by individuals with visual impairment. So physically sewn and beaded. So really being able to integrate the community at every step of the process is something that companies within fashion, even if they aren't creating an M product that has Braille, it's very much a lesson that the importance of including that diverse perspective in every stage of the process is so important. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned about the inclusion of, of uh, visually impaired or blind people in, in the process from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask about about that. Uh, um, are, are these people involved with, uh, aside from the Braille, practice side of things, uh, the the design of the clothing themselves. Yes. So when working with this community specifically, a lot of the focus is ensuring that the Braille is legible and the correct phrases or appropriate phrases are added to the garments. But there's so much more than that, allowing someone to envision what they imagine would pair well. So if that's certain color combinations, right now we've been using primarily black beads or whites or silver beads, but what kind of color combinations might look interesting? Should we be matching different patterns? Because even if someone might not be able to see something, they can envision what they feel it would look like and they still Mm. want to be comfortable with it. So Mm -hmm. they could read that it has black beading on perhaps stripes. And while they may not be able to officially see that, they can feel what that would be like and understand if that would be something that they would want to use to represent themselves. And then from the sighted standpoint, we also have our co-design process that includes the sighted individual, primarily who's interested in fashion. So we can ensure that all of our products maintain that fashion appeal. Because one thing too, is that in order to make that global impact and truly disrupt the fashion industry, we have to make sure that this product is consumed not only by individuals with visual impairments and who can read Braille, but also that sighted consumer to make sure that this doesn't become a product that is siloed for the disability community because that's one of the biggest ways to Mm. break stigmas is to make sure that it is something that's accepted globally by all fashion lovers. Yeah. You know, the other thing I thought about is, is, again, uh, that going through this process, what have you learned so far in in talking with uh, people that are, uh, have, uh, you know, uh, either blind or visual impairment in terms of how they might have affected the design of some of the garments. Has that come up in terms of, you know, people that are, are visually impaired that, you know, would be easier for them in terms of 
putting a garment on or, or locating pockets or, you know, who knows what? I don't know because uh, I just <laughs> thought wh- what might have come out of this so far? Absolutely. So one of the biggest things I've learned is that the community has definitely been overlooked for far too long. Mm. So I'm very happy that this has started because a lot of that research just didn't exist. I had those similar um, thoughts as well at the beginning of the process, wondering if there were certain buttons that weren't as Mm. easy to use Mm -hmm. or placement of zippers, etc. And so at the moment in my current research, that hasn't become too much of a real challenge with the blind and visually impaired community. But in furthering the inclusivity of the garments, there may be individuals with more physical or motor related Mm. disability where we could easily adapt the kind of function of the clothing that again could be worn by anyone and nobody would really realize that that adaptation was made to accommodate someone else. So that hasn't been a problem yet, but that's definitely something that we'll take into consideration long-term. In those initial interviews, a lot of the original challenges concerning fashion were really in regards to color. Mm. So there were a couple individuals that I spoke with. And you know that feeling when you find a shirt or a pair of pants that fits perfectly and you want to buy it in every color. (laughs) So that's a challenge that really couldn't happen. So for some individuals, they couldn't buy it in multiple colors because mm. they had a more difficult time being able to distinguish between those items. Mm. So really having to focus on purchasing items that they may not like as much or may not fit as well, but have enough of a distinct texture that'll right. be more easy to right. identify between items. Or there are a couple individuals who mentioned putting certain amount of safety pins in some items to know that that represented the color black versus two safety pins representing the color white. So Mm. there's a lot of uh, more home matrix, but there's no reason that we shouldn't on a global fashion scale be able to provide these solutions in a more effective long-term way. Great. The other thing that comes to mind is since you started this, and of course, I'm, I imagine the word is getting out, as you said, uh, it's starting. You've had uh, uh, calls from Britain and uh, and, and America. Uh, yes. So what about the, the visually impaired community and the blind? Um, are you getting calls from people that have ideas or, you know, that have have been you know, maybe thinking of this in, in, you know, in some, some aspect or, Hey, I've got, or I'm a blind designer. Yes. So not the blind designer portion yet, but definitely individuals who have come across the brand that have ideas or have, that's kind of how actually the international shipping Mm. started. Uh, Instagram has been a huge Mm. platform for that. So it it warms my heart truly, David. (laughs) The amount of messages we've been getting saying that this is something they've never seen before Mm. and they're so happy that it finally exists. So Instagram has been a huge platform for really cultivating all those different relationships and And that's how we started getting that demand to start shipping worldwide. And with that too, some of those connections actually resulted in a partnership with the American Foundation for the Blind in the U.S. Mm. So back when we were starting this in January, we had an appearance on breakfast television where Mm. we introduced the fashion line. And from there, we got a wave of messages on Instagram one of them being a model who identifies as being visually impaired. Mm. She had a photo shoot in New York City, and we flew out to include our pieces in her shoot. From there, she introduced us to other people, and Mm. that's where the relationship with the American Foundation for the Blind stemmed from. So one really great thing is the power of mouth, truly, Mm. in this process. The visually impaired community is such a strong network. They're so well-connected, and we've been able to work closely with a lot of individuals from the community. There is a blog based out of the U.S. called Bold Blind Beauty, who's been an incredible resource in connecting us with other individuals. And really just being able to work more on that international scale gives us so much more diverse perspective. Fashion is different everywhere you are in the world. And so this really helps us kind of navigate and make sure that we're disrupting the industry in the most effective way possible. Alexa, what has what surprised you when you started to get into this and uh, since it started to expand and you started to to implement these and come up with designs what is there something that that you hadn't thought about that came forward uh, either from uh, someone visually impaired or a blind person or or something that has developed in all this process that you just didn't see coming but was a pleasant surprise 
something I didn't see coming, but that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Honestly, every day has been a surprise. This has been quite the year. As I mentioned, we started at the end of January and then COVID hit. And mm. one, I guess one of the surprises is being able to effectively build this company mm. during the times of COVID. That yeah. has brought on a lot of different challenges. Um, one of the things, though, so my background specifically is in fashion communication. So not mm-hmm. necessarily the actual construction of garments, right. but more on the communication of them. So yeah. that's kind of where Braille comes into play right away. So yeah. I think one challenge that I've had is definitely not having as much knowledge about the end manufacturing of products. So that denim jacket I was telling you about, that has been a huge hit. But being able to find a manufacturer within North America who can make all of these pieces ethically, sustainably, and at a price point that will be affordable for our consumers, that's been a really huge challenge. So there are elements like that in terms of the actual production. In terms of the Braille inclusivity, we haven't had any major challenges quite yet. Being able to finally discover the best way to secure all of the beading, make sure that it's machine washable, that it's not going anywhere, that it's fully legible. That was a really huge milestone in the creation. So that had happened earlier this year, which was fantastic. But beyond that, uh, hopefully no uh, no horrible challenges are on their way yet, mm. but things have been going really well thus far. That's wonderful. It's so good to hear. You know, it, it's it's really sounding like this is going to and has already started to destigmatize disabilities for for these people in so many ways. And it's uh, you're giving people an opportunity. I'm guessing to work in the fashion industry through what you're doing that are visually yes. impaired as well as blind. And that's opening up opportunities. I'm, I'm guessing for people that maybe never thought they'd have a, a, the, the opportunity to work in the fashion industry. Of course, individuals who felt that this was a passion, but never mm. had that outlet to act on it. That's mm. something that we're able to provide completely. And that's the thing. What we're doing is so community driven that yeah. we fully accept all emails, all messages for individuals who want to be a part of this process, whether that's having new ideas of products we can create or uh, different outlets that we can start to explore. So it's been it's been really great being able to connect with right. different communities. Alexa, it's been fascinating speaking with you. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and, and share uh, I uh, uh, design with us and about what you're doing. Congratulations on your success and uh, this wonderful idea that is bringing Braille to the fashion industry and also empowering people within the visually impaired and blind society that, uh, that is out there, a the community, uh, and destigmatizing disability in, in so many ways and doing it in a very pleasing and functional way for people that hopefully can appreciate this right around the world. So congratulations. Thank you so much, David. It's been a real pleasure being on the show. Uh, Likewise. We look forward to hearing about your success and maybe having you back on in a future, at a future date. I'd love that. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. That's the voice of Alexa Jovanovic. She's the founder of iDesign, and you can check them out online at iDesign. It's spelled A-L, pardon me, A-I-L-L-E, design.com. You can check them out there as well. And don't forget, she mentioned the uh, Instagram site as well. And uh, you can find out more by going to their website. And uh, just once again, Alexa Jovanovic, founder of iDesign, and we've been talking to her about her idea to bring uh, Braille to fashion and uh, has had some success with it so far, which she started this year. Fabulous idea. And that is our show for today. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM, and this is Moment of Truth, and we will see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.